So good to be with all of you this weekend. Uh, probably one of the most uh, well-known books on, on leadership and influence is a book that was written, I think, almost 30 years ago by Stephen Covey. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in his book, one of the, one of the habits that he says we should begin thinking about in our life that can help us grow into a person of character and influence is to begin with the end in mind. To begin with the end in mind. He's saying to, to kind of look ahead and say, okay, who do you want to be or what do you want to accomplish and what does the end product look like so that that helps us make decisions and changes in our life in the here and now. In that chapter, begin with the end in mind, he he challenges people to, to visualize their own funeral. Now, this is a morbid thought in some ways. But I was just at a funeral the other day, and I, I heard people speaking about a man, and I just thought, man, I hope that those are the kinds of things that people say about me someday. In fact, Kobe says, uh, think about your own funeral and think about, well, well who's there? Who's gathered? Who's... Who cares? Who's come? And then he says, and, and, and what are they saying? Maybe not even just from the platform, but what's the conversation as people are gathering? In fact, he challenges us to ask that question, what would you like them to be saying about you? At the end of your days, at the end of my days. It's a great challenge. As we've been studying through the book of Acts, I don't know about you, but I've just been overwhelmed by the number of incredible people, characters of amazing influence, people that person after person, Stephen and Philip, and you just, you want your life to be more like that. And if we were to think about the end of our lives and what people might say about us, the character that we're going to look at today, man, I, I wish that his description would be the very epitaph on my tombstone. He's found uh, in Acts chapter 11, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there, or you can get on your smartphone, or you can follow along on the screen. And I'd like to just begin to dive into the passage so we get a little bit of the context, and then we'll be, get, be introduced to this incredibly influential character. It says, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, verse 20 says, Some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. Now, let's just pause there for a moment because if you were with us last weekend, we see uh, Peter has this incredible vision, and in this vision, God helps him realize that God shows no favoritism, that there's no partiality, that, that, that Peter, who even grew up as a Jewish person, looked down upon the Gentiles because, well, they didn't, they didn't 
follow the same God as them, and, and they didn't follow the same guidelines and rules and live by the law. And yet what God made clear to Peter was that God doesn't show favoritism and that the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, it wasn't just for the Jews, it was for the Gentiles as well, which we ought to be really grateful for because that's most of us here in the room. And so some were still holding back, but now some are proclaiming the gospel, this good news, to the Gentiles in the city of Antioch, verse 20 says. Verse 21, the power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. This was an absolutely miraculous thing that was happening in the great city of Antioch, probably the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world. There along the sea, uh, you see it up there in the right-hand corner, Uh, uh, Antioch was predominantly, it was a a Greek city that they, as far as religion, they reached, they, 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 they worshiped the plethora of, of Greek gods. And so when the good news about who Jesus was and the exclusivity of the, the Christian message came there, it's mind-boggling that they gave up all their religion and their Greek gods to worship the one true God and place their faith in Jesus. And we can read about, uh, about this, uh, this, this city. John Stott says this about Antioch. He says, No more appropriate place could be imagined either as the venue for the first international church or as the springboard for the worldwide Christian mission. Antioch was at the epicenter. In fact, the Bible tells us that it was in Antioch that people were first called Christians, little Christs, because of how they lived their lives like Jesus. And we see the, 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 the early church in Antioch just exploding and growing and thriving. Incredible things are happening. In verses 27 and 28, down a little further, you read that during this time, some, some prophets, they traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that there was a great famine coming upon the Roman world. This would have been a huge Roman uh, famine that came, and it did come. In fact, it was fulfilled, it says, during the reign of Claudius. And this prophet spoke about it, and as a result, the church believed and they responded. They started preparing for the famine. Why? So that they could help people. So that they could be there when needs arose. That's why, that's why we as a church, when, when there's a natural disaster, we want to give and send funds. It's why when there's been destruction and tornadoes and earthquakes, we want to go and send teams and help rebuild because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus in this world and they need to see that we love and we care. And it's not just talk, it's action. And that's what was happening in Antioch. This church was living it. So much so, it says in verse 29, the believers in Antioch, they decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea. Everyone giving as much as they could. There was generosity just flowing out of the Antioch church and sacrificial giving and serving and helping. And it says they did this entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take them to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. And so we come to this influential character named Barnabas. 
And I think Barnabas was one of the individuals that helped the church at Antioch become what it was. Helped the people there grow and develop in their faith. He was an influencer. He's the kind of guy that we want to be more like. If we jump back up into the text in verse 22 and 24, it says, When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, that is, when they had heard that the gospel had been shared even with Gentiles and people were accepting Christ as Savior, what did they do? They sent Barnabas. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. They knew that these brand new believers would need some support, some help, someone to lead them, guide them, encourage them. It says, and when he arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. And then verse 24, I love it. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Wouldn't you like that to be said about you? When you take your last breath, a good person, full of God's Spirit, strong in the faith, someone that encouraged the believers. In fact, that's what it says. It says he he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Now, we were first introduced to Barnabas uh, back in chapter 4 of the book of Acts. And it says, for instance, there was this man named Joseph, which was his real and given name. He was one of the apostles, and one of the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. What a nickname. You know, a nickname, it can be playful and fun, or it can mean something really powerful and significant. I remember, uh, I've been at the chapel now for almost 18 years. I came and, and, and I worked with students when I first came here, and I remember within the first month that I was here, I got to go with a couple staff members and then some other youth volunteers to a youth conference in Chicago. And we were there, and it was a late evening, and they had a big gym connected to the building that we were in. And so somebody said, hey, let's go over and shoot some hoops together. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And uh, so we're shooting hoops. And Pastor Eric, uh, his wife, Paula, she was one of our youth volunteers at the time. And uh, she's quite an athlete, whether you realize it or not. She was a good basketball player. So we're out on the courts, you know, and I'm trying to not be shown up by Paula. And I was given a nickname by Pastor Eric's wife, Dribbles. <laughs> because that's all I could do. I mean, it was like airball, you know, it was like whoo, brick shot. All I could do was hustle and dribble and dribble. That, that was all I could do. And that, so that was my nickname. So, you know what? Challenge me in a basketball duel, you will win. But if we play long enough, I may wear you down. All right. But Barnabas, his, his original name is Joseph. And the apostles, they saw something in him. So much so, they changed his name. They started calling him Barnabas, son of encouragement. That's what he did for the church in Antioch. And all of us know what the power of encouragement can be in a person's life, right? Actually, that word encouragement, it comes from a Greek word, parakaleo. We're going to get nerdy for a minute. 
The, the, the first part of that, para, it's a gentle word, tender word that, that means to, to come alongside. And that's, that's what Barnabas did. He just gently came alongside these new believers in Antioch. Isn't that what we need in life? Somebody just, that's just going to come alongside us. But the second part of that word, kaleo, means to call, to, to challenge, to, to point to truth. It's a much stronger word, and that too is who Barnabas was. He would gently come alongside people, journey with people, be there with them, for them. But then he, he would challenge them and he would point them. He'd point them to truth. He'd point them to hope. He'd point them back to Jesus. That's what, that's what encouragement is. And that's who Barnabas was. And it wasn't just the things that he said. It was who he was. Remember, this is his epitaph. This is who we want to be like. He, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith. You see, you can't speak into people's lives. You can't come alongside of people and point them to the truth if our life is just in shambles. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect. But who we are matters more than what we do. In fact, who we are is what will help us do what we do. And the only reason Barnabas could be such a powerful influence and encourager is because he was a good man. Well, why was he a good man? Because he was full of the Holy Spirit. That's what the text says. And, and why was he strong in faith? Well, because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And how, how did he lead so many people to the Lord? Because he was full of God's Spirit. And listen, regardless of what people that you know and love would say about you, your life right now, <coughs> by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and changing us and making us more like Jesus and more like people who were like Jesus, like Barnabas, at the end of our lives, we can, we can be remembered and we can be remembered well as people of influence, encouragers. There's a proverb that, that kind of encapsulates this idea of encouragement that's so powerful. It says, worry weighs a person down, but in an encouraging word, cheers a person up. Worry weighs a person down. Isn't that true? <laughs> uh, I brought my, this is my bag that I bring to work every day. I usually bring it to, it's got my laptop, it's got all my stuff in it for the, for the, for the weekend, for, it's, yeah. I, I, my wife tells me I don't pack like a girl, I pack like five girls. It's Boy Scout, it's, it's like the Boy Scout in me, like be prepared, right? Like I just want to be prepared. But how many of us know that sometimes we carry stuff with us that's really unnecessary? And sometimes some of what we carry are our worries. And as I think about worry in my life and and in our lives, I think there's maybe three main categories of worry that can very much uh, weigh us down. Yeah, that didn't need to be in there, did it? The first category is what I'd call the unfamiliar. It's just when we're in a place like, I, I've never done this before. 
You know, it's, it's a new job. It's a new challenge. It's a, um, it's a new relationship. It's, it's just something new. It's unfamiliar. And, and so what do we do? I mean, we worry. And what does Proverbs tells us that worry does? It weighs us down. <laughs> There's maybe another category. I'd call it um, the unknown. That's a big one. The unknown represents that, that sense of, well, I've never been there before. It, 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 maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a shift. It's a, it's a move. Maybe you've just moved here. Maybe you're watching online and you're, you're contemplating a move. And it's exciting and yet it's scary and there's worries. And like, well, will the job work out? And, and will, we, will we have good neighbors? And will we make friends? Or... Or maybe it's a total different kind of unknown. It's, it's, a, it's a diagnosis. It's a, and it causes worry. And, and what does worry do? It, it weighs a person down. There's another category. I'd call it uh, the uncomfortable. It's almost a, a conglomeration of, of the first two, but it's just this, this sense of, I don't know what's going on. I have never experienced this before. And it's overwhelming. And you worry. And it, it weighs you down. I don't know what it looks like in your life. But then to think about, well, well what, what would it look like in the midst of other people's worries for us to be the kind of people that are like Barnabas, that we speak a cheerful word. We, we, we come alongside them and we, we point them to truth, point them to hope, point them to Jesus. You know, maybe, maybe for somebody, um, your, your worry is, is your relationship. And you've never been here before. And it's all of a sudden, we're not getting along. And all of a sudden, there's a lack of intimacy. And all of a sudden, it just feels different. And you're worried. How's this going to turn out? Or, or for, heck, for some, it's, it's not the worry about the relationship. It's, it's the worry of the lack of relationship. And you just feel lonely. Like, when is God, God going to bring me somebody? Is it ever going to happen? Am I going to be single forever? Or for some, it's the worry of, of the loneliness that you feel because the someone that you had is gone now. And... You're in an unfamiliar place, going to bed alone at night, and it's lonely, and you're worried. Am I always going to feel this way? Am I ever going to feel better? Am I ever going to heal? And you're worried, and worries, they weigh a person down. <laughs> or or maybe, it's a, maybe it's a diagnosis, maybe it's... Maybe your worries are dropping all over the place. Because <laughs> isn't that the truth? We, we can't keep it together. The worries, they just start weighing down, and, and we're just crumbling and falling to pieces. Some of us, we've got worries. It doesn't even fit in the bag. It's like a semi-truck on top of you. 
worry weighs a person down. But what if we, what if we were the kind of people like Barnabas that came alongside people? That when the relationship, the relationship wasn't going so well, we said, well, how can we help? Let's do dinner. Let's talk about it. Hey, let's... Let's, let's, let's get in, into God's word together. What, what, if, what if we were the kind of people that when somebody's going through an illness or a diagnosis, that we were the kind of people that came alongside of others and said, listen, hey, but the truth is God's got you. And I'm with you. I'll be there for you. What if, what if we were the kind of people that when somebody's feeling lonely, that's been forgotten in a nursing home or, or someone that their marriage ended and they're lonely or they lost their husband or their wife or a child, worse yet. If we were the kind of people like Barnabas that came alongside and said, listen, you're not alone. Jesus has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you and you know it, neither will I. See, we know the power of encouragement because all of us in the room, at some time or another, we felt it. And if you haven't, then shame on us as a church for not being there for you. And when I say as a church, I don't mean the pastors and the staff. I mean, like, that's we. We are the church. Shame on us for not being there with each other and for each other. Encouragement. Barnabas, man. Worry, it, it'll weigh a person down. But an encouraging word cheers a person up. What would happen if when people were walking into the church or the, or the funeral home and they looked and saw in the casket you or me, they could say, man, Todd, he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit, strong in faith. And he encouraged us to stay true to the Lord. That'd be a legacy. That'd be influence. And that's what I want for every single one of us. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. We just admit today that we need you. We will not be able to be a Barnabas without your help, your life-changing power in us and through us, but I pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see others, that we would be leaders of encouragement, coming alongside and pointing people to hope and truth in you, Jesus. To that end, we pray and ask for your help. Amen. Have a great rest of your weekend.